Hello and welcome to episode 21 of Entertainment of Excellence, the podcast where we talk about films, TV, all of it. Hi, I'm Ollie. I'm Tom. And I'm Ben. And today we're going to be talking about the 1987 film, It, Could, it Couldn't Happen Here. This may contain... Spo- oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> this may- we're live! <laughs> this may contain spoilers. Okay, so I usually have the job of giving the synopsis. This is a very difficult film to do that because I I don't know if I'd say it has a plot. Mm. It's more like an hour and a half, almost extended music video of. Do you say it's Pet Shop Boys' second album plus some songs from the first? Yeah. Um, And then there's small dialogue scenes in between that kind of link them together <laughs> it's it's quite confusing to explain it's one that you should probably watch and it definitely deserves more recognition because uh it doesn't seem to be talked about that much and I, I hadn't heard about it before until we watched it basically so uh it's very interesting so yeah is it written by the pep shop boys written by one of them yeah and the director it's written by director um Someone else, um, and I think the Pet Shop Boys, both of them contributed a bit to it. Cool. Um, so yeah, it's more just I don't know things happen in it. I don't. <laughs> that's that's my plot synopsis. Things happen in it. Yeah, they kind of could they happen here though? <gasps> I don't think that they could happen here. Well, um, they kind of go around different locations and meet random characters on the way that kind of get called back to. And I wouldn't say, I don't know if any of the situations really have to do with the songs. Like, sometimes they are. Yeah. You know, the one where he's in a phone box and he's saying, how am I going to get through? That seems to make sense. But singing You're Always On My Mind while there's a, like, serial killer priest in the back of your car. (laughs) Uh, Sure, that's relevant. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. How, what, do, what do we move on? I, I don't know. Um, it's, yeah, it's, well, the film itself, it kind of um, doesn't go with a cohesive plot to focus more on, I suppose, the visuals and the music, even though they don't necessarily go hand in hand, as you said. Um, it's mainly focused around the Pet Shop Boys going round places, but then there's also... <laughs> I think the sense of time and what and like chronology is purposely like skewed because there's the film is mainly about like um as you said essentially just a music video for songs but there's these like weird existential monologues and dialogues between uh secondary characters like for example uh there's a big one in where there's like a ventriloquist dummy um, who in the restaurant starts going on about the concept of time and links it to (laughs) teacups and sorts of lots of different abstract things that sort of give this sort of weird intellectual edge to it. Um, But I think it's meant to completely like baffle you and, you're not meant to understand what's going on. So, like, it's, like, at the very beginning, um, like, Neil Tennant is, like, writing a postcard to his mum and he's saying, like, remember Uncle Dredge, this weird uncle who makes bad jokes all the time. But then it flashes to uh, Chris, Chris Lowe in a bed and breakfast with the Uncle Dredge. And then somehow they run into their younger selves in like a Catholic um, school with a blind priest, and it's kind of weird. There's seem there's lots of different stuff going on. Yeah, 
Like the IMDB plot summary says a young boy's holiday at a seaside resort includes a crazy blind priest, nuns in suspenders, and a whole bunch of fat ladies. But really, that's just sort of the beginning. And yeah, as it goes on, it definitely embraces like sort of a surreal tone, which I can see why you may not like. Some people might not like it. I guess if you're not a, a huge fan of the Pet Shop Boys, then you might not be too keen because obviously it's very reliant on their music. Um, but you just sort of have to accept it for what it is. Mm. It's it has a I get a, I got like a strong sense of kind of Terry Gilliam style from it. I don't know if did maybe that's just me. It felt. I mean, I, I they must have seen some kind of Gilliam film, or at least some Python stuff for the uh, earlier sketches of the guy going like, uh, having a what is it? <laughs> I've already forgot what it is. He goes like, having a laugh, no, no harm done. <laughs> oh Tell yeah, me a laugh, no harm done. That yeah, was, he was like John Cleese a bit. <laughs> yeah, uh, and yeah, it just you know had images of Brazil and Time Bandits and stuff from certain scenes that felt Gilliam-esque, but with more just absurdism and surrealism in replacement for a plot, which works for what it is. So I've had a bit of like experience with extended music videos before. Like I've seen uh, Anima that Tom York did on Netflix recently. I've also seen uh, the Beastie Boys did like Fight for Your Life, uh, Fight for Your Right Revisited, which is like a half an hour extended thing, and they like meet their older selves and stuff, and that's kind of weird in an extended music video. So I've I have seen this kind of stuff before, and it feels similar to that, um, but with more direction in a weird way. So that a lot of the visuals are really good like there's some pretty memorable shots like um chris low i just i remember a shot of chris low from behind as he was just walking through some hedges that seemed really striking for some reason there's a lot of like random visuals that you'll enjoy and then scenes in between that feel like they are from a kind of 70s 80s absurdist comedy like airplane or and things because of just random like Dredge wearing the massive ears, or someone just taking a zebra onto a train. Yeah, <laughs> but then you sort of like we sort of became like desensitized to just all this absurd imagery and stuff. Like when the zebra was on the screen, we sort of didn't even react because <laughs> yeah. there's just so much of it. Um, but there are definitely some like poignant images and scenes, like you, the one where he's in the telephone box. Like immediately beforehand, there's like neo Nazi sort of destroying it, and then he just walks in, and then you sort of has, have that juxtaposition with um, the woman in that room. There's definitely a lot of scenes that like are memorable like that. Mm. Yeah, it was also yeah, and in that scene especially, like the neo Nazis were. Um, smashing up the phone box, but then they sort of just like politely smiled and let Neil Tennant into the phone box to phone the woman. So um, there's sort of that weird juxtaposition there. And also the ending's kind of weird, sort of jumping all over the place, but it doesn't really matter (laughs) because there's not a cohesive plot. But at the very end, um, well, I guess it seems like the whole movie, the... Um, Pet Shop Boys are trying to go somewhere and at the very end they sort of, it's like, like a war zone I guess um, but in the middle mm. there's this, like this party this disco um, and then there's like a greatly choreographed dance sequence in the disco and then they just walk out but it's really weird it's like a fun vibrant party in the middle of a war zone Mm. I guess is um, sort of like an interesting image. Yeah, I, I couldn't tell what they like. It's annoying because they were always 
themes that you could tell they were grappling with. Like for that one, I felt like they were dealing with like mortal dread. I don't know because in the song, I finally realized like saying, read it in a book, write it in a letter. Uh, wake up in the morning. There's still no guarantee. I I just got a feeling that it was kind of like a fear of death because there was all the soldiers dying and they kind of just give up and try and enjoy themselves. But I I don't know if that's it because it's always quite difficult to see if they're trying to satirize these themes or taking it seriously, like with the concept of time stuff, getting a ventriloquist dummy to say it in a really silly voice and then have a pilot get so annoyed by it that he gets in a plane and tries to shoot up the pet shop boys in a car. <laughs> like Yeah. A lot of the time, the, well, sort of plot, if you can call it that, it sort of circulates around them and... So they're all they're always the center of attention, no matter all these bizarre situations they're put in, um, and so yeah, like with the the pilot who sort of has this strange epiphany and starts reading like Dalai Lama or something, but it's all it always comes back to them in some way. Mm. Yeah. In. Like a thing of trying to make sense of the world, it could be that I'm reading too deep into this, which is just supposed to be it's weird, because <laughs> they're you know they're pretty normal throughout. I mean, they do things that seem strange only because of what's happened around them, in that they just kind of stay fairly normal. The only time they show any like more extreme emotion is giggling at a ventriloquist dummy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know what that's about, but they've um, uh, and in most of the things they've got music video face, <laughs> or at least I think it is definitely yeah. for for them like the somber, serious uh, expression. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was it was kind of interesting to see that they re- didn't really react much to what was going on, and it was sort of. Well, they they just sort of like moved past it and ignored most of the sort of surreal, um, bizarre stuff that's going on around them. Which I feel I can't really tell whether they film has like a few themes and messages it's trying to convey, or whether it's deliberately trying to be open ended in that you can try and make whatever sense of it you can. Because like maybe you could say something about like the fact that they don't react to any of this bizarre stuff being like to do with conformity or something and the only re- the only real theme that or message that i picked up on that was very clear was like this sort of like anti catholic message with um the whole uh sequence where the priest the blind priest is like um taking these Catholic school children around, but then they they sort of sneak into this, like, amusement park um, and end up going into this theatre, which is, like, a sort of strip club, I guess, but, like, choreographed and everything. And it's, like, the song... That actually was the one song where I think the lyrics did. Yeah. Because the, the song's called It's a Sin, and... Like, it's about Neil Tennant's, like, strict Catholic upbringing and the fact he was, like, gay as, and stuff as well. Um, and that, like, juxtaposition of all of these, I guess, would be sinful things. Wouldn't <laughs> it? Yeah, it's quite interesting, like, the, the parallel with... Um, in the start with their childhood and then them now almost because it sort of tells both those stories simultaneously yeah um which sort of embraces that lack of any clear chronology or order of events yeah did you say that it was a like it was originally only it was originally shorter and it was only meant to sort of debut some of the music from the second album and yeah, they sort of extended it. Yeah, so it was originally only about an hour long, and it was just like to promote the second album, actually. But then they added songs from the first album, Please, as well. And I, 
I feel like some of the dialogue was probably added in as well afterwards because um, it would make sense that like an hour of it's sort of just the music from the second album but then the extra half hour is like this weird linking dialogue and um, and also some of the stuff from, from Please. What do you think about like the sort of ambiguity of like there were quite a lot of characters but they they were all played by like the same actors so like the priest was also um a serial killer dressed as a priest and also a couple of other people and the man who played dredge was also uh the ventriloquist and the <laughs> i think they were supposed to be all the same people because dredge was also was said to have a puppet yeah. That talked about time and I don't know, the pilot also being the car salesman and stuff like that. I, I, I don't know what it means, to be honest. I feel like they probably are supposed to be the same people because also the woman at the bed and breakfast was the one on the phone. Yeah. And then she had a picture of pilot, didn't she? Yeah. Yeah. It's all sort of interlinking. Oh, there was that shot of her, like, being covered in leaves as the plane went <laughs> over a house or something. I, yeah, there's a lot of random stuff that you remember. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, I, I they probably are the same people. I don't know. I have no idea what they wanted. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's like, I guess, interpretation time. <laughs> Maybe it's like to show that lots of people like go through different phases in their lives and go do a lot of different things or maybe it's like lots of different people are still similar characters i don't know maybe they just couldn't get enough actors <laughs> <laughs> well i mean like they had like barbara windsor who was like quite big at the time so like she can't have been cheap so <laughs> maybe there's some merit to that yeah i mean the budget was only four million dollars like which, which, like, at the time was, like, a lot, but... It's quite high for what it is. Yeah. Did it... How much did it gross? I'll, I'll have a little look. Just from what I heard, it seemed quite small and yeah. maybe underground. Yeah, I mean, it was only released on, like... It was in cinemas, and then it was had a really, really limited VHS release, and then had a weird laser disc release in like the nineties, and has only like in the past two months been released on Blu-ray and digitally. Mm. Um. I mean, yeah, it's, it's definitely very. British, yeah, and it's quite obscure. So I, I, I can't see it grossing that much money, but I can see why. Like, if you're a massive fan of the band, and to me, the purpose of the film was less, um, to do with plot, obviously, and to do with, well, it's not really a film as such. It's more emphasizes more of the imagery and memorable shots which you know you get in music videos and that's sort of what it's trying to uh recreate but in a feature length film yeah um i couldn't find the exact number but i found that it flopped at the box office and to be honest i'm really not surprised it's mm. definitely a very niche market it's targeting it's like well, I mean, first of all, there's Pet Shop Boys fans, which, like, they were really big in the 80s, but um, I can't imagine there'd be, like, an incredible audience for people who'd want to go see a film about them. Um, and then also just, like, the film itself is... Well, first of all, it lacks a cohesive plot, which would turn a lot of people off. Then it's got all these surreal imagery and shots and bizarre dialogue which I, I feel would probably like 
really lower its um, interest factor to most of the general public. So, yeah, it's not really surprising it, it flopped at the box office. But recently the British Film Institute has like re-released it on Blu-ray and stuff. So um, there was a sort of limited edition blue uh, dual format blu-ray and dvd release but that sold out so i'm guessing it's sort of becoming like a little bit of a cult classic amongst like pet shop boys fans yeah it's kind of more art house in that it doesn't have maybe a coherent plot and it's focusing on visuals and maybe just general themes yeah so i maybe not mainstream i don't know but I i think it's always important to support independent films as well so even if you maybe you're not into kind of more weird surreal film i mean i guess pet shop boys probably have enough money but yeah (laughs) it's just supporting independent films is always a good idea because you know a lot of people complain about disney and their filmmaking practices and just kind of switching directors willy-nilly and the way to combat that is to support independent studios yeah and films so one thing you know to take away from this is you know if you buy independent films go and see them at cinemas maybe even support independent cinemas although they're very rare nowadays because it used to be that the film studios had their own cinemas Uh, of course that's kind of changed except for disney um and if you want more interesting films even if you know, more interesting films will mean that you get weirder films that maybe you don't like or understand, but you might get some gems out of it, so it's always worth it. Yeah, like there's definitely an element of hypocrisy where people sort of, um, they sort of criticise monopolies in filmmaking, but then they, they don't really go out and watch films like this necessarily. And support independent projects or lesser known stuff. Yeah, but it, it gives a different perspective on filmmaking, which I think with quite a few of the things we've watched on the podcast have have sort of been more indie or art house. Yeah, apart from Black Panther. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I, well, I, I like to see it as kind of borderline. More delving into, sorry, there's just some very odd noises going on yeah. in the background. Uh, I think I, I'm trying to, like, put on the watch list kind of borderline, more abstract. Obviously, not that abstract. It's like just on the edge of mainstream films that aren't just blockbusters, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Because it can really get people into film that way. Because you want you want that um that line between stuff that's popular and stuff that people be interested in hearing your opinions on and introducing people to more um, lesser known stuff but equally you don't want to delve too deep into a a, a niche because then like no one's going to really have heard of it and possibly check it out so Mm. Uh, you know but I, I, I personally I've found myself especially over the past year I've sort of got turned off by Hollywood and a lot of the big studios. And I guess with the lockdown and everything, um, I've found myself watching a lot more indie films. And I hope that if... Don't know if you can hear the background noise. Um, (laughs) If you can, then I I do apologise. Sounds like you've got an aviary upstairs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, No, but in like 2018, 2019, a lot of the Hollywood stuff was just cash grabs and sequels and prequels and stuff that rather than taking risks and stuff like this, where like it's more of like an artistic vision than something that would grab cash. Because, like, yeah, obviously it's going to make a bit of money because there's the Pet Shop Boys name on it. But, um, I felt that they this wasn't like done for the money. This was done more just like to uh, support the artist's vision. And yeah, they wanted I, they wanted to make a film. All, all of the directors wanted to 
direct it. You find that quite a lot with music videos. You know, specific directors will kind of give them a weird vision and well-renowned directors that can do some odd but well-acclaimed films will do a lot of music videos because I think David Lynch has done quite a few music videos, stuff like yeah. that. Um, so, yeah, it's a good way to showcase that and they're obviously not just, like, doing standard music video, Pet Shop Boys, massive hits in the background kind of thing. I think that would also wear people out. And like one thing that I noticed was, uh, and I wouldn't call myself a Pet Shop Boys fan. I think they're okay. I don't. I don't really listen to them generally. But I was never bored throughout the film, which Charles I was quite surprised by. You know, I not much plot, not listen to the artist loads, but I still found myself watching it. You know, I never checked the time or anything. So yeah. Yeah, it was weirdly engaging. <laughs> it's definitely intriguing. I've seen quite a lot of reviews, sort of saying it's not necessarily like they they don't necessarily enjoy it as such, but they're intrigued by it, and that's sort yeah. of why they keep watching. And also, I quite I felt that there was sort of a transition from maybe more of a light light hearted atmosphere at the beginning of the film. Um, but still with some themes, as you were saying, about like the Catholic Church and stuff and his childhood. But then as it progresses, it sort of has more of a dark and melancholy um, uh, sort of theme to it. So because, like, especially towards the end with the the battlefield stuff and the... Like the guy in the plane shooting the car and like the neo Nazis. Yeah. But then you also have a bit of optimism with the music. I think that was definitely engaging. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so I guess we can talk a bit more about like the technical side of it. I mean, we've mentioned that like there's some absolutely great shots in there. I'd say that the cinematography was very good like there was obviously i think like the whole sequence where the pilot is flying the plane there was some great shots there um and a lot of well that was great like technical camera work but also in terms of directing there's just lots of lots of little things that just stand out like the the burning man that walked by that sort of like looked a bit like the the cover of Wish You Were Here by Pink Floyd and um like stuff like the zebra and you know just all of these like little things that divided by zero thing at the end where they were both yeah. the zeros on the backs which you pointed out yeah there's two of them and they both have zero on the backs so that's two divided by zero that's a reference but even reference. even earlier with in the the restaurant where he's got the calculator and yeah there's exactly. always yeah like i'm not that familiar with the pet shop boys music but i could probably guess that quite a lot of the dialogue is either references to the songs or just direct lyrics and yeah. quite a lot of the earlier lines feature later on or at the end yeah yeah i found it quite interesting that yeah, I like I I probably would consider myself a Pet Shop Boys fan, and I'm going to. And um, assuming that lockdown doesn't hit again, um, I'm going to see them in Manchester next year. So Ooh, that is cool. That is cool. Um, but I found it quite interesting that a lot. Yeah, as you said, a lot of the dialogue was either in references to the lyrics or directly quoting the lyrics. So. Before the whole It's a Sin sequence, there, there was Neil Tennant just going, um, lyrics from It's a Sin, and it's it, does, just... it does it quite a lot as uh, voiceovers, I found. Yeah. yeah. Everything I tried to do, no matter when or where or who, mm. does, has one thing in common too It's a Sin. You go, whoa, that's the lyrics. Yeah. <laughs> It, it seems to flip between doing the voiceovers of the lyrics like before the songs and also after the songs. Yeah. Um, and a couple of them 
songs happen twice. Uh, is the song actually called It Couldn't Happen Here? Sorry, I don't actually know. Yes. <laughs> okay, is. well, yeah, that's played like, that kind of bookends the film almost. It's not right at the start, but it's near the start, and it's also near the end. Yeah. Um. So I assume that's why they picked the name for it, even though the album's called um, Actually. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you're proud of yourself. I'm proud of myself for remembering the names of the albums. Yeah. Why do you think they chose this song to um, name after? I, I don't know if it's like a thing of the surrealism, so because you know it's not real, it couldn't happen here, or yeah, because it's not like. And when I first heard it couldn't happen here, I was thinking, oh, maybe they they want some kind of like political change, but they don't think it could happen, or. And then after I watched the film, I was like, I have no idea what couldn't happen here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, there's yeah. the guy at the start who rants on about politicians every, all the time. <laughs> yeah, about politicians Bloody immigrating politicians. into <laughs> going on holiday near him or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> are you a politician? You're not one of them politicians, are you? <laughs> yeah. I actually thought that was quite a good intro to like the film's approach to sort of I guess comedy. Mm. It was because like I found like Dredge and the whole sequence where he like he pulled out an ear and said pardon and <laughs> whacked someone and said sniff my flower and it uh, squirts at someone and says only laugh no I'm done after everything. <laughs> like I found that <laughs> I found that quite funny and like it's. Like, the jokes themselves aren't that funny, but just sort of the way that, like, the other characters are just, like, not reacting to him, and he's... <laughs> he's just completely oblivious to all of this. But equally, I wouldn't have said, like, if this film had started off like that, I don't think I'd have enjoyed it as much. Just mm. the whole rant about politicians and... The the way that the uh, the man... The, the the man behind the counter um would like go off on a rant and then Neil Tennant would just be like can I have a cup of tea with that please mm. yeah but what are you gonna put the cup of tea in oh, oh no. I'm not I don't want to get in that existential thing <laughs> I was just thinking uh I just had my mind blown because before we watched the film uh we just watched the SNL digital short Dear Sister and a thing on how that kind of changed comedy and about how it's you can't really describe how it like new comedy is funny it just kind of is yeah and that's the same kind of feeling i've got for this film so i don't know if it was i mean obviously the pythons had been around and terry gilliam's absurdist comedy was a thing but that has the same kind of idea of you can't really describe why things are funny they just for some reason are like i just laughed when you see the blind priest just kind of walk out of the uh crashing waves on the beach yeah. and like <laughs> Uh, leading kit like a, a line of boys. I just found that yeah. really funny. And then <laughs> he goes on the like the Ferris wheel, and <laughs> it's such a weird scene. Yeah, the more, like people rubbing mud on themselves and yeah. stuff. There's so many scenes in this film that if if they were in something else, they'd be so unforgettable because they just stand out. But because there's so many of them, yeah, you sort of just become immune to it almost mm. I guess like one well some of this the, some of the dialogue that isn't dramatic monologues about existentialism and time <laughs> the and aren't like outright jokes just seem like really bizarre in themselves that's funny like <laughs> there's this one here where the, um, the priest, or, well, in this case, the murderer pretending to be a priest is in the back of the Pet Shop Boy's car. And it's, um, they both ask, where are you from? And the priest goes, I'm glad you asked me twice. You see, I'm a bilingual, a bilingual illiterate. I can't read in two languages. <laughs> Wasn't there a one where he said, do you have any weapons? And he's like, why do you want one? Yeah. <laughs> then there's, um, don't we know you? Then the priest goes, I don't know, I used to be blind, but then I started eating carrots, but I still can't see during the day. <laughs> it's just weird. I guess that's the sort of humour, just like stuff that makes absolutely zero sense, but 
in its absurdity, you could just like laugh at it. Yeah. <laughs> Only a laugh, no I'm done. Only a laugh, no I'm done. <laughs> I'm gonna start saying that. It's repeated a lot. <laughs> in like the four minutes on screen. Who is Dredge? And Who... does it doesn't the store guy at the start say that like the people that are coming over here now are just dredges? I don't know. <laughs> As in, like, look at what's left over. Is it all connected? Is it interconnected? Are the Pet Shop Boys... <laughs> no. Ah. What? And I just find it weird that Neil Tennant is wearing a suit and bow tie the entire time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Chris, though, is dressed a lot more casually, just his leather jacket and... Is it a beanie? It's not, yeah. like, long enough to be a beanie. I don't know. Sort of, yeah. That, that, that little sort beanie of, hat. <laughs> sort of, like, rebellious 80s punk outfit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Neil Tennant's just dressed up like he's at a wedding. The the most music video part was, like, the telephone bit because it kind of cuts between uh, Neil Tennant singing in the telephone booth and then Chris Lowe's just vibing in a field. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's kind of dancing with a completely dead face. I don't know. I, I thought it was great. <laughs> Okay, um, well, I think one big thing we could say um, is about, like, there's two or three sequences in the film where it's sort of, like, as you said, a sort of music video style because there's, like, these choreographed routines. Like, for, for the song Rent, there's a weird scene where in, a like, a warehouse there's lots of people dancing to it that doesn't really connect to anything else. But just sort of looks great, and the choreography is really good. Did the wall like slide up behind a jukebox? There? Yeah, <laughs> and then um, at the very end, in like the 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 disco in the war zone, um, there's the the song "One More Chance," and all of these people are dancing in the disco, and it's really really well choreographed. So, yeah. And I think, uh, well, recently, the well, the Pet Shop Boys have like since this film they've done soundtracks to like a couple of musical theatre shows. So I think that this that sort of theatrical element has always been a part of like their style. Mm. Um. Yeah. Uh, should we kind of wrap up and give our thoughts because we we are going to talk about some other things this episode, such as yeah. recent film releases and the greatest sequel of all time. Ooh. Ooh. Contentious topic. We'll get into Father it. Part 2, The Dark Knight, or... The one more... <laughs> oh, oh, oh no, spoilers. no spoilers. No spoilers. First of all, we need to wrap this up. Yes. Uh, overall thoughts of the film. So, like, I enjoyed it, but not in, obviously, a traditional way. Yeah. I enjoyed it for what it is. I thought I had some good themes. You know, it's not like my favorite thing I've watched this year or anything, but it's definitely, you know, I wasn't bored. I thought I had good imagery and kind of explored interesting themes. Um, so I think I'd probably give it like a seven. Yeah. I yeah. mean, that's because we've watched like loads of. Basically, all the films are films that we've wanted to watch anyway, apart, apart from a few. Well, uh, so that that's why all our ratings are so high. Like, it looks quite low down on the list, but I think seven is uh, a pretty good rating on where what I'd want to watch more. Yeah. Um. Well, I'm probably quite biased in that I I'm a fan of the band and. Oh yeah, I should have said like, Pet Shop Boys. I I think. They're okay. Like I get their use of synths and things. It's just the style of song isn't as engaging to me. But yeah. so I'm also a bit. But it, it, a lot of it depends on if you like their music. But me, who didn't, you know, not a massive fan of their music, I still enjoyed it. Like seven is pretty high. So yeah, worth a watch. Um. So I'd go. It's. I really enjoyed the surrealism, and I think, like, my style of movies that I prefer are, like, a lot more, um, 
like stylistic and theme based than like plot based ones but equally like the the film's not like perfect there are there are some flaws and stuff so i'll go i'll go 7.5 because that's sort of on par with like no country for old men and like psychoville but um we're ignoring psychoville <laughs> we're ignoring old the pre-2020 episodes yeah well for me i'm probably like i'm not saying you dislike the pet shop boys but i'm sort of in the middle where i'm more unfamiliar with their music but i think it did work a lot in the context and yeah definitely i was yeah. definitely engaged and intrigued throughout and as we've said it, it never bored me or anything like that i think uh, on the list of films we've done sort of just the lack of any uh clear plot and just sort of the, the um way it's filmed and stuff i, I think it i'd probably give it a 7.2 i think it's quite similar in a weird way to fear and loathing yeah um so i'd probably go in the middle with that yeah so sort of average around 7.2 that's oh. fine yeah oh also I'll, I'll just mention that like i'm probably also slightly biased in that like i love the sort of surreal style and like i'm not a huge fan of like artwork in general but like the art that I enjoy is like surreal stuff. Like mm. I'm a huge fan of like Salvador Dali and and that sort of vibe, you know. And I just want to say that that's actually quite high for Ollie, who is the story man. Yeah, yeah. Ollie likes this plot. I do. So He's the story man. Need to. Um... I'm feeling left out, giving it a low, a lower rating now, but I'm gonna <laughs> stick by it. <laughs> We Tom need to give it a ten. Oh, sorry. We need to expand on our musicals category now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we do. So, any What's suggestions? <laughs> if you have any suggestions, feel free to send them in. Mamma Mia Two, here we go again. <laughs> wow, <Whoa>. incredible. <laughs> so, um, moving on, we don't have any submissions this week. Um, we do have one in that's been sent to us. We'll probably cover that for our next episode. Um, it's a different form of media to what we have normally had, so that's cool. Um, yeah, again, just a reminder, if you create um, any t form of entertainment, like f short films, music, artwork, uh, short stories, write a fan fiction about us and send it in, <laughs> no, please. No, don't. <laughs> please. <laughs> okay, fine then. Okay, maybe a safer work one because we don't want the we, we don't want the the podcast getting taken down. But uh, yeah, we'd we'd love to hear from you, and we'll dedicate a segment to you. We'll we'll give a bit of constructive criticism. So fun times. Cool. So um, is it time for recommendations? Kind. <laughs> I mean, this is like a current affair. Not current affairs segment yeah. but this is the we want youtube quick segment but also i want to talk about it so um last friday i went to see tenet in the cinema Ooh. so Did you i see tom cruise there uh <laughs> tom cruise so i'll i'll talk about kind of the film and also how i found going to the cinema in the current situation that is going on uh, I found, you know, I felt pretty safe, but I'm usually okay on everything because uh, I'm me and my family aren't in the at-risk category. But also, you know, you, you got to wear masks when you're in, and the booking system makes it so that there's kind of a space around you, so you're not really near anyone, and it, it's fine wearing a mask during uh, while watching a film. I think so. You know, it feels pretty safe. If you if you were a bit worried about that, then I would go. But obviously, if if you have health concerns and things like that, probably best to stay at home. Um, and the film itself, I think that Tenet is actually a really good film to start bringing people back into cinemas because obviously Christopher Nolan. I mean, I think it was a bit snobby of him to force it to a cinema release, but 
um, it's you know it is does really well. It kind of it opens with I I felt like he was trying to do what he normally does with like the Dark Knight and Inception and open with a big action set piece, but that also felt right for bringing you back to the cinema. It's like okay, you're in the cinema now. Look at this massive action piece with loads of soldiers and guns and stuff happening and you know that was really engaging and great sound mixing was a little off which apparently is a problem with nolan films <laughs> i don't know uh but that's fine but the concept itself which I, I guess this is a minor spoiler about a machine that can send it like reverses people's entropies and send you backwards through time but it's not the standard like you go back in time, you jump from one time to the other, you're actually travelling through time backwards. So you get a load of cool scenes of people travelling through time backwards, fighting people that are travelling through time forwards. And like there's really engaging action scenes where that happens and it can f- cause multiple of the same person to be in the same room and things like that. And it also adds to Nolan's classic whoa, mind-blowing plot kind of thing because of time travel. But I don't think that's a you know, major feature. It's definitely a very enjoyable film to watch. Um, it's, it doesn't really grapple with massive themes. It touches a bit on the ramifications of time travel on like fate and free will, but it doesn't really explore it to that extent. And it felt like it left enough questions unanswered that there might actually be a sequel, which is something that Nolan doesn't really do, apart from, obviously, the Dark Knight trilogy. Um, So it'd be interesting if he did that. It it wouldn't feel like a forced sequel, because there's a few characters that kind of appear and aren't introduced, and it might be a weird thing where they're introduced in the second film, which also makes sense with the whole, like, time travel thing. Um, but I think it's definitely worth a watch. You know, it's enjoyable. If you, uh, for my first, I've only watched it once, so I didn't fully try to comprehend all that happens. But if you kind of go in and take things as they come, and as long as you pay a bit of attention, you're not going to sit there feeling lost. And there's always good action to keep you going. Be ready for a lot of exposition, which Nolan does, but he usually, you know, does it pretty enjoyably. But yeah, I think it's worth watching. It's enjoyable. How does it compare to his other films? Um, I would say I prefer Inception. Interstellar I've not seen for a while, but I found that quite odd. And I remember it being overly long. I think, t- I mean, Tenet's quite long, but I would say Tenet is more enjoyable than Interstellar. But I've not seen Interstellar for a while, and I think that deals more with existentialism, so it depends what you want. Um... And I, you know, I think it's below Dark Knight and stuff. But that's those are two pretty big bars to yeah. clear. Uh, hmm. I, unfortunately, I've not seen like Memento or The Prestige or some of his other films, so I can't compare it to that. I'd say it's above Batman Begins. <laughs> uh, it's kind of a vague thing, but yeah. you know, it's, pretty high bar. Watched, I watched it. We, I'd say it's a, you know, it's a really good film. It's enjoyable. Yeah. It's not going to, you know, be world-changing in terms of its themes, but I think special effects-wise and kind of trying... I don't know how he managed to make fight scenes with people going different directions in time, but he did it. So that's, you know, it's very impressive, and I know that he crashed a plane (laughs) to film it, so... Just like practical effects. It does go against supporting independent films, which we mentioned earlier, (laughs) but... uh, what sort of reception has it been getting? Because I've seen some people sort of saying it's excessively convoluted, but I don't know you, if all, you always get complaints like that yeah, when people think is, it's like pretentious. I'm, I'm one of those people that doesn't say it's convoluted, but I recently watched the Netflix show Dark, which I think I recommended, which talks about time travel and time loops and actually does really explore the free will thing. And that plot is so convoluted. <laughs> but it's still, like, a really good show. So now if I get a fairly convoluted plot, I'm like, I've had more convoluted and it's still good. So I don't know. I don't think it's too convoluted. But there is a lot of the Nolan... Like, if if you rewatch Nolan films with this in mind, the kind of 
action set piece exposition action set piece exposition thing yeah a- apart from the dark knight i will say um well i guess that could apply to a lot of his films like you could watch some of them on different levels like you could either just watch inception to enjoy it and as long as he paid attention then that's what he'd do or he could watch to see whether he's wearing his wedding ring or whatever oh um, yeah <laughs> but, but i mean it's a 7.9 which compared to i think um was the new mutants i think that's been released oh, i think for, that's supposed to be a bit rubbish yeah <laughs> i think that's been released for <laughs> critics maybe oof it's a 5.6 and it's got yeah. a 39 meta score. Yeah, but, I've heard that sort of speed is good. Yeah, because I'd say that Tenet, uh, 7.9, IMDb scores are always like really seem to be quite high compared to what I'd give things, which always means that I inflate my scores as well. But 7.9 yeah. in compared to like other IMDb ratings of mainstream films, because you'll find there's a disparity between mainstream and more independent films in the ratings. 7.9 is fairly accurate for IMDb, I would yeah. say. Cool. cool. Well, uh, on that note... <laughs> on that note... Um... After talking about a good film, let's talk about a great film. Yeah. So... Well, contrary to the last line of Ben's parody... Of Kangaroo Jack's parody of the next episode. <laughs> parody we, or ripoff? <laughs> we did suffer through the sequel to Kangaroo Jack. Tom was adamant he didn't want to watch it, so we saw it without him. And, oh, we um, should also say that neither of us have seen Tenet, by the way. That's why yeah. we didn't say <laughs> yes, so we didn't just just it. <laughs> yeah, I got the good job and they got the. <laughs> there to watch Kangaroo Jack. Good day, USA. We did. Yeah. Um. <laughs> If you don't know, it's an animated, was it straight to video sequel? Yeah, there's like there's no way they were going to, um, <laughs> to put it in the syllabus because of the like commercial failure of the first Why one. Why did they make it then? <laughs> well, I'd say it's more bearable. It is actually because just because it's like animated, that definitely helps because you can just accept it more as a kids film. Yeah, and it definitely avoid some of the uh dodgy uh like innuendos and references that are yeah, in the first film yeah. there's quite a few uh opportunities where you could definitely see the first film making some sort of sexual joke but this one avoided it would, would you say it like knows more of what it is like does it actually have a talking kangaroo and was originally no. made as a it well no he doesn't talk but well he's he... in it more jockey legs <laughs> and there is another rap i thought he'd actually talk because it's animated and well he does it wasn't originally made as a gangster film though was it yeah. well, <laughs> well there's, there's sort of a strange um gangster-esque undertone <laughs> yeah with the, it's like the jewels on the collar thought it would drop that <laughs> no well the thing is um I think the kangaroo did talk a little bit again, but again, only in, like, dream sequences. And, um... Well, there was another rap. Um, yes! A boxing rap. Yeah, and, like, Jackie Lags is actually in it a lot more, which is great, because, you know, if you're having a film about a kangaroo, then, like, you actually want the kangaroo in there. And the plot's, like, not awful, to be honest. Like, it's not great, it's a, it's like a little bit predictable at times, but like as a kids movie, it's a lot better than the first one. Um, there's not like this weird like mafia plot in the background. It's more no. just like these Australian these Americans are smuggling animals from Australia, and that's bad. That's like the sort yeah. of there was, thing. Well, <laughs> one of the things that we enjoyed the most was the fact that Lewis this time was voiced by the same actor as Jar Jar. Yeah, Armored Best, whose only other role that's been notable is Jar Jar Binks. I'm like, okay, it's a little side note. I kind of feel sorry for the guy because, like, all of his roles are just playing Jar Jar Binks in so many things. Because, like, in the prequels, um, like, Ewan McGregor didn't do, like, Obi-Wan in the Clone Wars and any of the video games or whatever because, like, he had other stuff to do. But, like... You can pretty much say with certainty anything with Jar Jar in it, it was voiced by Armored Best. Yeah, he's that desperate. Yeah. There's a few actors, like, I think Qui-Gon 
Liam Neeson did a few. I think he voiced his character in the Clone Wars. Yeah. But but, but that's only like brief flashbacks and stuff. <laughs> um, but there's also uh, <laughs> some more fart jokes, but yeah. even more cringy. With oh, it was, it was... Okay, yeah. Like, the film had its ups and downs. That was a little bit worse than the first one. Like the, was it the ostrich? Oh, yeah. They're, they're all just um, hiding out in this... Uh, like box with this this crate with this animal in it, and the animal just starts farting like really loudly, and that's hilarious because wow, <laughs> and the and, and the bad guys are about to find them in the crate, and then the animal starts farting, and they're like, "Whoa, we can't check in there, bloody farting animal, <laughs> awful." It is odd though. Like Lewis seems to the other two character main characters from the first one are very much. They barely, they barely have any lines. It's a very big emphasis on Lewis, um, and does he actually he, have a character this time? Well, uh, in a way, but he keeps yeah. on going on about how like everything's fate and how he has caused everything to happen because of some sort he's of the chosen prophecy one. at the start. Yeah. Oh no! Yeah. There's a chosen one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Another prequel <laughs> reference. Oh, it's. Uh, there's just like more stupid jokes like there's this thing like this circus where they're going to be like turning a, a tiger into like a, a naked woman well not naked but like a sexy woman and then uh. they kick out the tiger and no other way around they turn a sexy woman into a tiger but then they they like the tiger escapes and so what actually comes up is Lewis and Charlie but both like in their underwear Lewis has love hearts on his underwear that's ha-ha, funny, that's oh, also that's funny. funny. Oh, no one wears the love heart white underwear that Lewis is not did. real <laughs> Lewis did yeah. it only happens in films and Lewis TV did. shows I think, was... I think there's even a joke about it on Community oh yeah because one of the characters who's like really self aware gets his trousers pulled down and is wearing the love heart underpants they're like albed why why are you wearing those he's like oh i i knew i wanted this to happen someday <laughs> yeah but my favorite character has to be outback ollie he oh, has his, outback uh, ollie yeah he has his um a contrast between his, his dodgy somehow he has a dodgy australian accent and then like his real voice is like godfather sort of speaking <laughs> <laughs> it's really weird yeah yeah so um well we, we we wouldn't recommend you to watch the film but like if you want to cleanse your mind and of the first kangaroo jack film then maybe it's worth watching the second one because it's not as bad it's not deserving of a lower rating i wouldn't say at all yeah i'd say at least like the same or like a little bit higher on like imdb but the thing about this one is that the first one you could sort of laugh at the fact that like the way that it was originally meant to be a gangster film and the fact that it's not really a lot of it isn't suitable for children whereas this is just trying to be as innocuous as possible yeah, and it, it just, really it just ends up being bad yeah it's just like watching a, any animated like decent well not even decent just, just a like, safe yeah. children's film yeah it's nothing special like a random scooby-doo film yeah yeah cool well um we don't really have time for recommendations, so we'll skip them. I think they time. were our recommendations. Oh, yeah, obviously. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Ten- uh, Tenet and uh, Kangaroo Jack G'day USA. <laughs> there you go. Both on the same level. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I won't know, because Kangaroo Jack G'day USA is better. Sorry, that is true. Mm. A few things have happened, though, since we lasted our episode. Like, I think... I think last time we recorded, not when it was released, but since then there's been DC Fandom where there was like oh, loads yeah. of new announcements. There was Batman trailer looks yeah, great. Yeah, Suicide Squad, a few video games. Yeah, Snyder Cut stuff like that. Yeah. The Boys season two has come out today. <laughs> cool. Yeah, 
Uh, and then I guess a big one was like the the tragic death of Chadwick Boseman, um, who played Black Panther. Uh, like that's that was really sad news, and especially to learn that like he'd had, um, oh, what was he died of? Was it like colon cancer? Yeah, or yeah I think yeah. He'd that had that. Right. He'd had that four for four years. years, and so doing Black Panther was like right in the middle of it. And Infinity War. Yeah. As well. And so like, it's sad, but it's kind of good that like his he's always going to be remembered for like the cultural impact that his character had. On like, not just like comic book fans, but like the black community as well. So, mm. yeah. Do you want some thoughts on Black Panther? Then listen to episode three. Was it? Yeah, episode three. Uh, the only episode with one dislike. <laughs> <laughs> Is it listed still? Yeah. Yeah. All oh, right. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, we we think we rated it a bit high, um, but like. If you want a bit of like yeah, a I'd feel I'd feel a bit bad like rating it down just after yeah Chadwick <laughs> yeah. Boseman's death. So, but you can tell that like sort of he sort of tried to stay strong, but he he was trying to create this um, legacy that would outlast him yeah. after yeah. his death, and then he sort of become because really since you can't like the only sort of black main superhero I can think of in the past 20 years is maybe Blade but he wasn't really yeah he's it, not... it was a bit of like a caricature and a, like silly yeah but he yeah. yeah and he's not someone that children can necessarily relate to yeah yeah so Whereas... I think it was very important to have like a main leading black superhero so I think it was great that he did that and obviously he's great in the role like he's so charismatic and everything I mean, they had, I guess they had the Falcon, but he didn't really have his own film or anything. Yeah, and there's Luke Cage, but he's really not well known, and it's not really a, a kid's no a yeah kid's thing. Apparently, he's like I think there's two things that he's been in or voice that haven't been released yet. So there was the I can't remember what one of them is, but one of them was the I think it's a Disney Plus show like the Marvel What If series. Oh yeah. yeah, and I think he voices T'Challa, but instead of becoming the Winter Soldier, I think he's meant to become Star Lord. It's basically a series. It's an animated show, I think, where they're gonna like uh, change a lot of yeah. I've, what's I've canon actually in the MCU. I've read one of the comics of the What If series. Uh, it said it was in one of my Daredevil volumes, so it is kind of like changing massive events. So the Daredevil was like, what if this major character didn't die? Yeah. yeah. That'd be pretty cool if they found a way to integrate. Um, I don't know if they could, but like the the Marvel Netflix stuff, so like Daredevil and Jessica mm. Jones or whatever, if they could somehow include that into the MCU. Yeah. Or I know they might experiment with Marvel zombies, which I think might be quite a big thing in the comics. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of people kill all the Marvel characters. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so um, we'll we'll wrap it up there. That's quite a lot of stuff been going on. We can mm-hmm. touch a bit more next week. Um, cool. Um, so don't forget to follow us on social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram. That's at EOV Podcast. We have a website, entertainmentofexcellence.weebly.com. Um, where you can subscribe to our mailing list and get access to behind-the-scenes stuff and also access to this brand-new recommendations master list, which I spent ages on, where you can like look up films we've recommended and it has a list a link to like watch it or buy a DVD of it. Um, and it's just a great resource in case you're like bored and you don't know what to watch. Also, you can access our schedule so you know what we'll be doing for the next few episodes. Um, so that's cool. You can do that. Don't forget, you can, you're can. you free to email or message us or contact us via the contact form if you just want to recommend a film for us to watch or you have something for our submission spotlight section. Just let us know. We'll reply. Um, our DMs are open, so to speak. <laughs> mm. We're gonna, aren't we going to be changing our... 
date as well when we yeah. release episodes. Yeah, that's a big one. So um, now we're like going back to school. We'll be doing on Sundays from now on. Um, still sort of same time, I think, um, around like 4 p.m. Because we usually watch the film in like early afternoon and then give our thoughts like straight away afterwards. So sort of similar time. Um we're streaming on Sunday, releasing the podcast on podcast platforms on Sunday. Um and yeah, that's that's probably for like the foreseeable future. Mm. Um we've also just released a trailer for for the for the podcast, which you can listen to. Um just send that to anyone you think might be interested, I guess. We'd love for you to share. Yeah, and send in questions and stuff because for episode 25 we'll be looking at older episodes and also hopefully answering viewer questions so do send them in yeah and like subscribe and turn on the notification bell slam it like <laughs> slam it so hard oh yes oh yeah break it yes all right, all right see ya all right, all right see, see ya, ya. That's it, Steve.